Life's too short. Life's too damn short. With your fun fitness friend, Melanie Cole, MS. Hey, this is Melanie Cole and Life's Too Short. And you know, you got to make the most of it because it is so short. It goes by in the blink of an eye. And the minute that you blink, it's past. It's gone. Everything happens just so fast. And the older you get, the faster it speeds up. I tell my kids this all the time because for them, summer is slow. And for them, time goes slow and school days are long. But I'll tell you what. It goes by in the blink of an eye, so you do have to make the most of it. And of course, we're talking about exercise today because you know it's one of the ways that you can take charge of your own health. And by taking charge of your own health, you really are making the most of it. My guest today, you know, we're going to be talking about exercise and exercise as medicine. And you know, exercise is medicine. And we've talked about this initiative for so many years because back in the day, the American College of Sports Medicine and the American Medical Association in about 2007 started, they co-launched the Exercise is Medicine initiative, which calls on all physicians to use their prescription pads and pencils. Well, nobody really uses pencils anymore, or maybe they do, but we're not erasing it so much. It's not like my kids, which use their pencils and have to erase all the time, but we're calling on physicians to use their prescription pads to give people a prescription for exercise to get this nation and this country healthier. My guest today is Dr. Bob Salas. He's the family medicine and sports medicine physician practicing at Kaiser Permanente Medical Center in Fontana, California. He's also the past president of the American College of Sports Medicine. And incidentally enough, he currently chairs the Exercise is Medicine joint initiative. Welcome to the show. So Dr. Salas, you and I have gone back and forth for years talking about exercise is medicine. What are we saying to doctors now? Because it seems to me Back when you and I first started talking about exercise as medicine, doctors were not getting a lot of exercise physiology in class. They weren't getting a lot in medical school. They weren't getting a lot of nutrition information. But that tide seems to shift. What are you seeing now? Well, I think we're at least beginning to talk about it, Melanie. Um, I, I, I still don't think there's enough of those uh, types of curriculum, but they're improving. And many schools are talking about it. And we're seeing more and more schools integrate teaching about exercise and physical activity and its effect on health and in terms of uh, prevention and treatment of disease. We've actually developed sort of a model curriculum for exercise as medicine that can be plugged into uh, to various medical school curriculums. And, uh, and we've had quite a few of them take, it, take us up on it and are using that curriculum around the country. But I think it needs to be 100%. Uh, you know, it's, it's just crazy that we have this just obsession with pills and procedures and we tend to ignore the most powerful effects on health, which are simply how much you exercise and the type of diet you, that you eat and eliminating uh, bad behaviors like smoking. You know, if you took those three, uh, that just uh, does so much more for health than anything we do in healthcare. It's astounding that we don't take more of an aim at those big three. Well, and I do think the tide is shifting just a bit and the profound effect that exercise has really on the body is amazing. And people are just starting to sort of realize that, you know, those, the, the fitness buffs always knew it since the sixties, but, and we used to look at them and think they were all nuts, but now you kind of are like, well, I got to be doing something. So when we talk about exercise is medicine and exercise as medicine, what do you want people to know? I mean, when we're thinking about how much, and you know, I'm a trainer, I'm an exercise physiologist, and I've been training for 30 years with people. And some of the same clients, Dr. Salas, I have some of the same clients I started with 30 years ago. 
And so it's kind of amazing that they're all getting close to 90 now when they started with me in their 60s. But how often? What do you want people to know about how often they don't know whether they should weight train, cardio, combination, five times a week? We hear that 150 minutes a week, and then we see the Fitbits and everything. What is it you want them to know? Well, the exercise and medicine initiative, just to sort of start, you know, that was really uh, initiated because I felt like physicians weren't paying attention to the evidence. And really, thanks to most of the members of the American College of Sports Medicine, over the past, uh, you know, 50 to 70 years, we have had just innumerable studies documenting the health benefits. You know, that, like you said, personal trainers always knew it. But, but we really had studies published in reputable medical journals, well-done, controlled studies, proving how powerful exercise was to health in terms of prevention and treatment disease. And in fact, it's more powerful than any of the medications that we currently use. But unfortunately, most physicians don't think of it in that term, in those terms. And so the goal of the Exercises Medicine Initiative was simply to get physicians to think about exercise as a medication that's part of their armamentarium that they should use, at least prescribe to patients and, and you know, hope that they would take it. And, uh, and we used, uh, what we developed was something we call an exercise vital sign, which uh, most of the, uh, you know, health plans around the country are beginning to use. We've taken it up at Kaiser. We were the first major health plan to use an exercise vital sign in our system. We have 11 million patients. Every patient at every visit, regardless who they're seeing, is asked about their exercise habits. They're asked on average how many days a week do you do at least moderate exercise like a brisk walk, uh, and the medical assistant records this information. They click zero through seven in our electronic medical record. And then the following question is, on those days, on average, how many minutes do you exercise at this level? And they click uh, 10, 20, 30, 40 minutes, so, and so on. And then the computer multiplies those two together to give us minutes per week of self-reported exercise. And sort of the, the goal is for uh, adults to be doing 150 minutes or more of moderate exercise, like a brisk walk, each week. So we sort of use that as a starting point uh, just like we would talk about a patient's BMI. You know, we weigh every patient, we measure their height, and we record their BMI. And it allows us to talk about, hey, I think we need to make improvements on your diet. Well, in a similar fashion, you're not meeting the recommended guidelines for physical activity. We would like to get you to do a little more exercise. And really to leverage it as, as a treatment, instead of me putting you on insulin for your diabetes, why don't I put you on walking 30 minutes, five days a week, and let's see what that does to your blood sugar levels. And I would rather try to bring it down with walking than adding insulin, you know, something that often patients don't want. And so uh, that's, that's how it's been used. And sort of the next phase of exercise is medicine. I think we're realizing that it's one thing for me to tell a patient to start exercise, exercising. It's another thing to have them do it. And I think we need to connect the fitness industry with the healthcare industry. I am frustrated that as a family physician, I can refer my overweight diabetic patient uh, to a nutritionist, uh, and they pay for that, or I can refer them to a surgeon, and they'll pay for stapling their stomach, but I can't refer them to a fitness professional. That just doesn't make that sense. That is amazing, isn't it? And, and you know, why that would is we crazy, and it's always been... That's right, and I, and I wonder how soon the insurance companies are going to come through, Dr. Salas, and realize that things like training, personal training from a certified, qualified fitness professional is worth their spending that advance money in preventive medicine rather than waiting till somebody needs insulin or waiting till somebody has heart disease or waiting till somebody has all of those other issues that seem to cost more on the healthcare system. Now, when you talk about exercise, we hear about it, but people don't know when you say take a walk, 
you know, there's a slow walk up to Starbucks and then there's a brisk walk. And then we used to hear the talk test and the sing test. And people don't really even know. Sometimes I feel myself when I'm on my treadmill. Am I going hard enough? Am I working hard enough to really make a difference in my cholesterol and my heart disease and my any of those kinds of things, prevention? And so it's hard to know that level that you're talking about. What do you what do you tell people about how hard they need to work? Well, the first point to make is that even small amounts of physical activity have some benefit. I mean, there is really no amount of physical activity that is is not worthwhile. And we have seen studies showing, you know, as little as, uh, you know, 14, 15 minutes a day cuts mortality by, by almost 15% in, in one study. And so um, I, uh, these, these things that are often thrown out there is, you know, take the stairs rather than the elevator, park your car farther out. That really does make a difference. That exercise accumulates, and there is benefit to that. And so it's amazing to me that even very small amounts of physical activity have a very powerful effect. But, you know, I think that, and again, this is sort of arbitrary, but the agreed-upon goal is 150 minutes a week or 30 minutes, five days a week is often how we sort of package it and sell it, uh, of exercise done at a moderate intensity. And you mentioned the Sing Talk test. That's usually what I like, that you should be going at an intensity high enough that you couldn't sing, but not so high that you couldn't talk. It shouldn't be uncomfortable for you to do the exercise you need to do. I look at walking as the default exercise prescription. It's the simplest thing to do. It's very measurable. I can tell patients to walk for 30 minutes. They can time it on a stopwatch. I can say, I want you to walk five miles a day. They can you know, measure it by distance. Or I can measure it as steps. I can say, give me eight to 10,000 steps and use a pedometer or your iPhone to see how many steps you're taking. So I love walking as sort of the default exercise prescription because it's so easy to measure and can be doled out in, in so many different ways. But that said, there are so many other benefits uh, besides walking that I could give to patients. And the biggest one to me is strength training. Uh, I think that is the biggest neglected component of fitness. And I swear it drives me crazy when all I hear about is screening uh, uh, DEXA scans for bone density. We're so worried about women's bone density as they get older, and we've got to put them on these medicines that have horrible side effects, when really we don't talk about anything. We talk about osteopenia, the loss of bone density as we age, but we also lose muscle mass as we age, and we call that sarcopenia. Well, unfortunately, we don't have a drug for sarcopenia, so you never hear about sarcopenia. And uh, studies suggest if we could improve the strength of women as they age, improve that muscle mass, that we would prevent the very falls that cause fractures. We wouldn't even need to strengthen the bones because the muscles would be strong and prevent these falls from occurring that can be so devastating in elderly women. So that's an example of something I just think is ripe to connect why my patients with low bone density, I want them on a bone and muscle strengthening program, a weightlifting program to help them strengthen both muscle and bone. All the pills do is increase the bone density a bit. And by the way, the pills have never been shown to reduce hip fractures, for instance. They just make the bones a little stronger. But yeah, it I, I heard that out too. The, really, the value of these is really nebulous. So those are examples of why can't I refer to a fitness professional who could put them on a strength program, also put them on a flexibility program in addition to their walking program that helped them with their range of motion that would also help prevent falls. And you know what, you have the same frustration. And you have the same frustration that I do about that in this healthcare system. And strength training women hear so often, Dr. Salas, 
well, they feel like, and I still hear this after all these years and all these talks, that I'm afraid to strength train because I don't want to get muscles. But I'll tell you what, you can take one look at someone like my son, okay? He's a teenage boy who was skinny, video-playing, D student, right? And he joined gymnastics and it's all body weight stuff. They're not lifting really heavy weights. And he looked like Arnold Schwarzenegger after one year and came 13th in the state in rings after never doing this before. But it shows you, if I would have taken before and after pictures, it shows you the difference that strength training, just weight training, body weight training can do. I mean, it's an amazing before and after picture, but women think that they're going to get that same look. Oh, my God, I'm going to look like a German swimmer. And really, we can't achieve that. A 15-year-old boy can do that, but we can achieve strength. We can lift the grocery bags and that gallon of milk and go, holy, that doesn't even weigh anything now. Yeah, you know, it's interesting. Women, uh, particularly over the age of 50, it's even more important in these age groups as you get older because you lose so much of your strength. They lose about 10% of their lean muscle mass, uh, you know, every decade. Uh, and so... Uh, Tell me the, about it. The, the effect is is that when you start looking at 60, 70, 80-year-old women, many of them can barely lift 10 pounds above their head. And, and that's a real risk for injury. And it also affects your quality of life, you know, the ability to do the things that you want to do. Uh, we often forget about how important that is. And uh, by doing strength training, that allows them to be more active, do the things that they want to do, and really live a normal life. And this is something we just are not paying attention to because we are so focused on prescribing pills and doing procedures on patients. That's where the money is in healthcare. Making people health healthy, there's no money in it. You know, and most of the healthcare systems don't have much of an interest there because you can't make money off a healthy patient. And we've simply got to change that in this country. And women don't know how much to do. Tell them how much you like them to do, or, or just even in general. I'm 52, Dr. Salas, so I am right in that age range you're talking about. And when you talk about bone density and, and reducing muscle mass by decade, and you know, perimenopause changes the whole game up. So we have to weight train. We have to lift weights. We have to do push-ups and lunges and things that you know our own body weights really work so hard, but how often women don't even always know. Yes. Well, that's where I need a fitness professional to be able to sit down with them, just like I would rely on a dietitian. You know, I wouldn't think of managing my diabetic patient without a dietitian to talk to my patients about exercise or about diet, how much, what they should be eating, how much they should be eating, all of those things. Well, it's the same way with exercise. I need to be able to refer to that professional, that fitness professional who has the same type of expertise a dietitian has with diet, they have it with exercise. These two work hand in hand, and it makes no sense to emphasize diet without emphasizing exercise and vice versa. You need both to be healthy, and we need to put equal emphasis on both within the healthcare system. Does exercise as medicine encompass nutrition at all? Are we, are we including some nutritional counseling well, or any of know, this when we're talking about physicians? Group, there's there's plenty of groups advocating for that. You know, we, uh, we certainly all acknowledge diet has a, is an important piece of this, but, but uh, we're focused with a laser beam on the physical activity piece. And I've got lots of other colleagues who are focused on the diet piece. And I just think we need to be working hand in hand, and you shouldn't emphasize one without emphasizing the other. To date, the emphasis has all been on how fat we are and recording BMI and the latest fad diet and stapling people's stomachs and putting people on diet pills it's gotten us nowhere. And so I, I just think we need to shift some of that emphasis 
and put equal footing with physical activity and nutrition. They need to be hand in hand. And any, any type of diet that a patient is put on that doesn't include an exercise program makes no sense. And I see well, that happening you know, too often. We, we've been talking about women, and as we get older, and of course that's, you know, like I said, in my wheelhouse right there. But what about kids now? Because we're seeing schools. We need to catch up to other countries, so we're seeing schools cut gym and recess in favor of academics. We do need to keep up those academics. We need to catch up on the math and computer skills. However, when they cut that, the kids can't get their beans out. They can't run around. They need to run around, get blood flow to their brain. And, of course, the obesity epidemic in kids it's one of my really passions, Dr. Salas, because I see so many of my kids' yeah. friends. I have a 13 and a 16-year-old, and I'm telling you what, it's, it breaks your heart when you see them. And then you look at their parents who may be heavy also, or maybe not. So what are the parents doing that they're not doing for their kids? What do you think about this, the childhood thing and what schools are doing? It's a huge thing to tackle. It's frustrating, you know, and it's happened on all of our watch. How did we let them take PE out of our schools and nobody said a word? Uh, that Seriously, so nobody said a word, just let it happen. It, it just sort of got taken right before our face, and here we are now looking at the first generation of kids that are on a pace not to outlive their parents, being the first generation in history, that we're raising a group of unhealthy kids, and most of it has to do simply because they're so sedentary. And, uh, you know, it's happened on our watch. We're responsible for that. We sat around and let it happen without saying a word, and we need to take that back. We need to fix our communities, our schools, to put physical activity back into schools. We need to put it back into our communities. We need to make spaces available for physical activity. We need to make being physically active the easiest thing to do. We need to make the cities more walkable. We need to have more public transportation. We need to uh, uh, diminish this reliance on cars to get around so that if you go to the mall, the easiest thing is to either take public transportation or park your car farther out and walk around the mall without without parking right in front of the store and, and walking 10 feet. Yeah, uh, no you know, kidding. Really and you guys do. We, we talk to doc, we talk to Walt Thompson all the time, you know, about the fitness index. And that is your just huge initiative that we could tie all this in with exercise as medicine because that fitness index talks to, speaks to all of those things you're talking about, the rural areas, the urban areas, exactly. the food deserts, the sidewalks, the park districts and golf courses and parks and things. I mean, it is amazing and it seems a hard hill to climb. Yes, they all are, but at least we're beginning to talk about them, and I think we all need to join, join forces, the community, the city planners, the, the, the schools, the PE teachers, uh, you know, the, the health care professionals, those of us that see this day in and day out, and then finally the fitness professionals being part of that team. We all need to stand up and, and talk about this together. Um, these are changes that are sorely needed. We've waited way too long to, to begin to deal with this, and, and we can't continue to wait. No, we certainly can't. So wrap it up for us, Dr. Salas. You're such a well-spoken man and such a great, you know, spokesman for exercises medicine. I mean, you came up with this. And I once told you that I wanted to do that commercial for exercises medicine. Side effects may include feelings of euphoria and well-being, reduction in weight and symptoms of diabetes, you know, in fast talk. So we still have to do that at some point. But <laughs> that would be good. I Isn't wish I could see that instead of the latest, most expensive drug. Ask your doctor about this. Wouldn't it be refreshing if a patient came in and, hey, I heard a commercial ad to ask you about exercise. What, what, what does that mean? See what, what I'm I saying? I've been saying me? this yeah. 
for like eight years, you know, exercise is medicine. Side effects may include. And then we do it the real fast talk. And that's <laughs> what we do. And then we put that out there everywhere where people then will go in. It would get people to laugh. And everybody needs a laugh now these days. My goodness. So wrap it up for us on exercise is medicine, exercise as medicine. What do you want the public to know? Because this is going out over the airwaves. Well, I think the, the important take-homes are the goal amounts of exercise, which is you know, 30 minutes a day of a brisk walk, five days a week, 150 minutes a week. But also keep in mind that very small amounts of exercise still are significant. So I don't want patients to become frustrated if I simply don't have the time or I missed a day. Um, you know, just doing what you can, if you can just get a little bit of physical activity. And, and don't be afraid to start slow to start out at a low amount, even if I can get my patients to do 10 to 15 minutes of walking a day at a brisk pace, that has a tremendous benefit. And then I really hope we can uh, get patients connected to fitness professionals to work on things like strength training and flexibility training. There are more, there's more to fitness than simply cardiovascular fitness and walking. We need to leverage those benefits uh, because they have such a, a profound effect on our health. And, and we can no longer wait. We can't keep spending what we're spending on health care. The way to change that is to focus on these lifestyle issues, uh, physical activity and a proper diet. They've got to go hand in hand. Oh, so well said. I'm giving you the applause of the day today. What a beautiful way to wrap that up because it's just so important. And people can see more about Exercise is Medicine at exerciseismedicine.org. And it's the initiative from the American College of Sports Medicine and the American Medical Association. I am on board with this initiative. I've been talking about it for years with Dr. Salas. So ask your doctor about it. Ask them to write you a prescription. See if your health care and your health insurance company will get in on it with you. You talk to your schools and your community, get your kids more active, get out and walk with your kids, walk uptown, do all those things and try and be more active. This is Melanie Cole. Life's too short. We have to make the most of it. Thanks for listening. See ya.